Welcome to this workshop. I am Rose Q, a compulsive overeater, and your moderator for this session. Hi, everyone. Please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. Our topic is diversity, focusing on the common solution, all for one and one for all. I will now read from the selected reading. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity, Tradition 1. There are at least three factions of OA. One emphasizes a strict disciplined food plan. Another professes working the steps and allowing God to remove the food problem. The third group falls somewhere in between. I know OA members in all three groups who have great recovery. What is the right way? What is the OA way? What is the message that we're supposed to? that we are supposed to carry. The only message I carry is my own recovery. I do not need to have everyone recover my way. You need the freedom to recovery your way. The only thing we need to have in common about our recovery lies within the 12 steps and the 12 traditions. We cannot legislate recovery. We cannot even accurately define recovery, but we can recognize it when we see someone living it. Let us rejoice when we see fellow sufferers recovering in Overeaters Anonymous, thankful that they have found their way. Let us be willing to try a different approach if our way is not working. Let's be open-minded and non-judgmental. This, this program is broad enough for all of us to do whatever is necessary. That's from Voices of Recovery, page 5. Our first speaker this afternoon is Rosa N. from Roseville. My name is Rosa. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, all right. Well, I'm kind of I've been um, obsessing about this for a whole week, but now it's going to be over in 20 minutes. So that's gonna, um, I am from originally from Spain. I started working the program in, in 1994. That was my first meeting in Madrid. And, uh, well, I've been abstinent for nine years, and although I've been in OA for 10 years, but the first year I just took it this year, I guess. And I just, uh, I, maybe I just got acquaintance with the ideas of the program, that they were kind of weird to me. It was like completely different of what I had thought or believed before. And in those, uh, in the first two years, I lost approximately like 60 pounds. And I was gonna say I kept the weight down. No, actually not, because I had two babies since, since there. So I just went up and down and, and pretty much, uh, yeah, like, uh, 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 like three more pounds back when I lost all my weight or something after having the babies. And it's funny when I, um, when I started working the program, actually I was working in a project about plant diversity. <laughs> so it's interesting. Um, I, uh, uh, my first meeting was, I, it was a Saturday uh, meeting and um, it was really an unhealthy meeting, but they didn't know because I didn't have any idea what OA was. And, 
uh, one person controlled the meeting. Um, they, he let stick to the people he liked it for five, I mean, for 20 minutes, and the people he didn't like it for only five minutes. And they talk about everything except OA literature. Uh, but they said, someone told me that they ate only three times a day. So I stayed in that meeting because uh, I wanted to eat only three times a day. I was sitting the whole day. I was snacking and binging and vomiting. So three times was like, oh, I, I want that if they eat only three times a day. So there was a person there who said he was abstinent. So I, I, I wanted to know what was abstinence. But the truth uh, is like... Um, they said they were absent, but actually they were not. Uh, because when they went to the cafeteria, uh, they brought all these appetizers, and I said, well, at the meeting you said you were absent, and now what happens here? And then they said, well, you don't have to take it so seriously. No, it's like, and I said, all right, well, go ahead. So one day, uh, a person uh, from the intergroup said that was a very nice group on Monday. So I said, well, if there is a nice group on Monday, what am I doing here? So I went to the Monday meeting. And I liked it because uh, it was uh, very welcoming and everybody was very loving and I really loved it. But we didn't work the program at all. We didn't believe in each other like in my first meeting, but we didn't work much. And I really liked it because everybody uh, was doing a lot of dumping. You know? Yeah, I've been reading the addition one. It's like our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon our unity. I don't think we read the traditions. Uh, I don't think they had them even translated into Spanish then anyway. So I just got there and blamed my family and my sister and everybody for my problems. And I told everybody how much I loved food. And I did that for a while until the group rep said, well, there is a group that is doing better than we are doing. And I thought, well, what does it mean better? I said, well, better means thinner, like we are really <laughs> obese, most of us. And then I went to that meeting. It was an English-speaking meeting. And I was impressed because um, in our meeting, we read a very small preamble, and then we just talked about all our lives. And in that meeting, they read this long preamble. And I was thinking, oh, my God, so we do have to read all that. And then they were kind of respectful because we always were giving advice to each other. Like uh, one day, one, uh, yeah, one member, I still, she came and said, oh, I have some problems with my room, but she doesn't do the dishes. So the whole people in the meeting were telling her, oh, you should tell her this, you should tell her that. So that was pretty much what we did. Uh, when I went to this group, everybody, it was like a sense of respect. Like nobody was telling anybody what to do. They were just sharing about their lives. And I was thinking, wow, that's new. And then I went with them for, I didn't trust them very much because okay, let's see if they're obstinate or not. So I went with them after the meeting, and then when they brought the appetizers, nobody ate them. So I thought, well, that must be something important because if they really, and they're doing what they're saying, so I, I started believing them a little bit. And I don't know, uh, we, in the group I was going on Monday, we kind of uh, tried to incorporate the principles, and then we got a sponsor who was uh, abstinent for some time, and we started changing. And it's funny because uh, once we started changing, oh, well, I didn't want to change, but it was kind of, I don't know, it was you change or you die or something. So uh, half of the, the meeting just is, uh, was divided, and part of the meet people left to a different meeting So because they didn't, they didn't like. In, when I got there, I just complained, did a lot of dumping and all that. But once I, I knew there were some steps and I knew I was supposed to do them, I became very intolerant. 
So everybody was not doing the steps that forget it. And I was like, this is the only thing. And actually, the only requirement for OI membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Now it tells you you have to do the steps, you have to do the traditions or anything like that. Well, if you don't do it, it's, you won't recover, but it's not a requirement. So I don't know, uh, it's kind of um, uh, uh, funny. We, we got at that time uh, like different groups like very separated from each other. We didn't have any unity. Some groups were all the time just uh, doing whatever they wanted. My group was very strict. We have to do everything by the rule. We have to study all the tradition. We have to do the steps. And there were some meetings like in the middle. So uh, one year for unity day, uh, we thought like we should put together all our groups and try to do something. And that specific year, uh, I remember, it was funny. I went to the meeting room uh, and a woman from one of the other groups was cleaning and doing all the stuff, but then she told me that I don't believe the way you do your program and all this. <laughs> and I thought, well, it doesn't matter. She doesn't believe anything, she's here. So we're just working for to have like a common solution or something in common. And I went to, I moved here five years ago, so I, I kind of uh, disconnected a little bit from the groups there, and then I just uh, found more challenges. It's like every time I kind of get adjusted to a group or to the people, then I go to some places, and then I have to adjust to a different situation. And before I came here, I called my, one of my girlfriends. We, we keep, we still keep in touch. And I asked her, what, what happened with all those groups? And then she, she told me that, um, the first meeting I started going um, finally disappeared. Nobody went anymore. And actually, I was happy because I always was embarrassed like, to send people to OA, to a place where they didn't talk about the OA literature, but they were always breaking all the traditions. So I, I do believe in the spiritual principles of the program. If you follow the spiritual principles, you're going to recover and you're going to have healthy meetings. If you don't, then... then but it took many years, like um, it, it, that meeting lasted for a long time. And the people uh, who were controlling the meeting and using it for their personal purposes, they moved to another meeting. It was funny there, kind of. Uh, but finally, they are, they are not in the intergroup anymore, and they call themselves like multi-addiction or something. So I thought that was, that was kind of good. I did go last year to the uh, one to my, I don't know, it was my home meeting for a long time. I really have, I'm very attached to that meeting. And uh, people change. They are not as intolerant as I was because, like, my way of working in the program was the only one, and everybody had to do it the same way. So when I went there, people are not so intolerant. It's like they are involved or something to a more like everybody can have different perspective and we are all in the same boat trying to recover. And I don't know, uh, I've seen like uh, different meetings, they have like different emphasis. When I, the emphasis I had when I first started, I had a very strong sponsor and then he always focused on the steps. So I always focus on the steps, that's what he told me to do, and to sponsor other people. And then when, when I was here, the meeting I am, they have a lot of focus on service. Uh, actually, many of them are doing this convention, they're working here and all that. But I don't know, I, um, I kind of, I'm still in the, it's, I really like the beginning. When I started, it's like, uh, I do like uh, the part of the service where you sponsor other people. It's like, uh, I like intimacy, I like to, to get to the end of the things. It's like, I also like to, 
to see people grow. It's like the, my plants. I worked with plants before. Well, now I'm at home mother, but uh, when I was starting, uh, when I was working, I was. Uh, I like to see my plants grow, and this is kind of similar. I like to see people growing and just uh, getting better in the program. And I don't know, like um, the unity. Uh, in the, when I came to OA, I just. Uh, Actually, the only thing I wanted is to stop my obsessions. I was getting really insane because, well, I was overweight and I was always talking about myself. I still talk a lot by myself, but <laughs> it was. And I just couldn't stop. It was like a crazy, crazy all day and night, day and night. And, and with time, uh, I learned that the only uh, solution for me is just to, to work the program. Then things get better. They don't get the way I like it or or the way I don't like it. But now with time, I came to appreciate like the gifts of the program. And unity is one of those things. Uh, when I went to visit my family uh, last year, my sister didn't talk to my brother because one small thing. So I had to meet my sister and then I had to meet my brother. And I really felt like something was broken, like I didn't get the sense of unity. And then when I came back, uh, I remember I went to Unity Day. And then it's like in a way when we are, when we are all together is when I don't know, when I feel that wholeness, because it's like we can be different, but we, we have a common problem and also a common solution. One of the things I, um, I didn't deal very well with differences. Uh, I remember once uh, I went before coming to Peru to a summer camp, and uh, there was a person who had different ideas from mine. It was some political thing. I can't remember what it was. So we started talking, and I was arguing in a very loud voice, and then this woman was uh, smaller than I was, and she was, I don't know, people were looking at me like, I mean, what are you doing? You're getting insane here. And then I thought, oh, I don't know. But I was sure I always had to be right, and I always had to defend my ideas no matter what. Uh, once, um, well, they suggested to me to say, you might be right. So once, I told my husband, you might be right. So he said, well, there is something they told you in your books to say, like, <laughs> so I don't practice it. Anyway, uh, then, I don't know, there was a lot of stuff I had to get rid of it because um, what's the important thing? The important thing is recovery. If I focus on the little problems and all the little differences, I'll never get that recovery I need. And, yeah, I, I remember uh, I was going to two meetings, like my Saturday and Monday uh, Monday meeting, and in the week I needed one more meeting because I, I was really in this church, no? when you don't need, you need something else, no? I, I needed my higher power and the only way to find it is to go to meetings, and I went to a lost meeting, I, I, I don't know, it was pretty far and I got there late, and then there was only one woman in that meeting, and that woman, I really didn't like her because... I saw her once at a meeting with a teacher that said something against my ideas, my political ideas. So I don't know, it was like, well, now I came here and what I'm going to do? So we read books and then we shared. And after the meeting, I felt better. It was like I managed to be abstinent one more day, and that's what it matters. And then I just, uh, I think I started changing a little bit, like, well, maybe that thing is not so important. There is, maybe there is something more important than your ideas or your beliefs. I also, uh, once my sponsor told me, this woman needs a sponsor. Why don't you sponsor her? And then I thought, 
I never occurred to me I could sponsor a woman who was uh, younger than I was. She was very thin, she was very good looking, and she was kind of blonde or something. I was always jealous of all those women, so I mean, what is, and then he said, is she too pretty or something? And then I said, well, maybe. And I sponsored her for a short time, like one month or so, and it was the same, the same, always the same problem. We, I really feel compassion for her, and I don't know, uh, we really connected at a very deep level, and I came to appreciate that it's like, I'm always thinking, like, uh, how people look like, if I look good. I mean, all those things. I I had to get rid of all that stuff, too, because then I, I don't get to the real thing. And the money thing, that was funny, because if you are rich, man, you don't even if you don't allow, you have the money, so forget it. And I had a sponsor who was rich, you know, and then I, I had to pray a lot. I have to face that. I haven't accepted that people are rich or something. No, that's too much, you know. She was telling me all this, girl, well, she had the money because she really invested her money and worked a lot with her money. No, that's why she had it. And when she called me with all these problems, actually, she was really trying to work the problem and tell things over. And I was thinking, well, if you give me a little bit of the money you have, maybe I can do this and that. And, but I understood, too, that uh, it doesn't matter how much money she had. She had a problem as she suffered. She was a compulsive operator who, who was suffering. So I don't know, it was like um, the program is like uh, just getting rid of all my old ideas. And I, I don't, I, I really struggle with all this stuff I have. And the more, the more I get rid of, like, just, it's like when I clean my house, I don't clean very often, but when I clean it there, I feel better. It's like you get rid of all this stuff. And then you get to the real point of things. Yeah, they were talking about relationships, like my relationships didn't work very well because with my girlfriends, I did all the talking and did all the dancing. <laughs> and it's like um, I do get, uh, I, I learned in the program to listen. Uh, I was always talking and talking and talking. And then when I listen, it's like uh, I can learn something. I cannot learn anything if I'm not listening. So I don't know, I just, uh, mm, I, most of the things I learned is because I came to OA and I started listening. I said, I was, uh, I thought I was overweight. I, I started dieting when I was 12 years old. And since then I've done so many diets and lost weight and put on weight and at the end I couldn't lose any weight anymore. And so I, I think I just got stuck there. Like I, I never grew up. I was just, I used food for everything. I just, it was my problem solving. I just have, I was happy I ate, I, have, I was sad I ate, I had a problem, I ate more. So it's like just trying to find a new way of doing things and it's really fulfilling. One of the gifts of the program is to feel that unity, to feel that connection with other people. I didn't have it. I felt lonely. One night I felt, I went to a party. Well, I overrated of the party, of course, and yes, I burned and all that. So I went back home like thinking, oh my God, nobody's going to like me, I'm going to die just alone and just over. There were way this, uh, no, it was obese. And so I don't know, now just the, the feeling of connection with other people, the improvement of my relationships. I didn't know you can forgive people. I just, well, I review all my resentments just to, to remind myself I shouldn't trust anybody because they were mean in the past or something. So I didn't learn that I can forgive people. Well, actually I can, but my higher power can do everything I can do for, I cannot do for myself to improve my relationships, to actually to have relationships that are worthwhile. And I don't know, just uh, the unity is one of the gifts of the program, just to feel connected to another human being and to be part of it. And I learned, I do believe 
meetings are like a small laboratory. And what I practice all my character differences. When I go to the business meeting, I get there and I just, uh, I learn a lot of things. Like, I have to say what I'm thinking. If not, I go back home resentful. Oh, you didn't say what you were thinking. And also, once I said, I had to let go and just uh, let the group decide what's the best thing. And sometimes it's not what I like. So it's a lot of practice to know what's the, I don't know, it's just like practicing and practicing. And then I can go out in the world and just uh, all the things I learned here to listen to people, to respect their points of view, to be quiet sometimes because I talk too much. Then all the things I can practice and I can have a better life out, outside. I tried, my sponsor told me I had to go to a business meeting. That's not an option just to go home because you are bored or something. And I think that was good because if I don't participate, um, what it's going to be, uh, yeah, uh, or it gives me so much that just staying there and helping for a common solution. Well, thank you. It's my time. <laughs> Thank you. Our second speaker to this afternoon will be Angela Jay from San Francisco. Hello. Um, I'm Angela Jay, and I am a compulsive overeater. Um, first of all, I want to really thank them. Uh, our two convention committee, uh, they've been phenomenal here, and, and we should clap and applaud for all the work they've done. In particular, Barbara, who's chair, and Michelle for speaker, and asking me to, allowing me to speak. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. And one of the reasons is, um, I've been in the Fellowship of Overages and Honest for about uh, 18 years. In June, I celebrated 18 years. I have nine years of uh, an abstinence with a weight release of up to 83 pounds. I've, um, I've <laughs> I email a lot of people. I am an OA convert. I haven't been able to leave the rooms. I really believe in it 100%. Um, one thing that I see is lacking is actually racial diversity, and I've addressed it several times in my um, tenure in the Fellowship of Overuse Anonymous, and more acutely and more recently in, in a, a Unity with Diversity workshop that we had at OA Birthday Celebration. And so this one is kind of like another chance to, to open up the doors to everyone to receive this wonderful program. And I'm going to go ahead and finish qualifying. Uh, I did come into the fellowship back in 86, and, and I worked my steps. But the best time my, my program really worked for me is when I actually took the steps to heart and uh, started looking at the underlying issues and began to actually look at the pain that was driving me to the compulsion of overeating. And with that, working the 12 steps, as our first speaker said, you know, getting to the core, the traditions, and not just being uh, slack in our practice of our plan of eating, uh, we're able to, to really grasp the program and grow spiritually. Um, the topic that I understood it to be is um, diversity, focusing on our common solution. And when I heard the word diversity this time around in a fellowship where we're, we are focusing somewhat on our, our differences, I also know the word diversity to mean acceptance. Uh, the reality of it all is, is we have no control over the weather. The weather has its own sense of what's going to happen, and we know that there, there can be acts of God. Diversity conjures up for me the acceptance that everyone isn't the way I am. Everyone is a little bit different. Everyone can't be, as we know, a Stepford wife. We can't program recovery in other people to be exactly as we perceive it to be, even though we know, we know we're right. And I think one of the 
best way that's demonstrated our policy, and I don't know if we've, we're all familiar with in 1992, I wasn't present at that World Service Convention, but I know that in 1992 there was a policy adapted, and I'm going to read briefly from that, just the first paragraph, Unity with Diversity Policy. The Fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous recognizes the existence of individual approaches and different structured concepts of working our 12-step program of recovery. That the fellowship is united by our disease and our common purpose, and that individual differences in approach to recovery within our fellowship need not divide us. And the greatest thing that seemed to put this um, division between us, as our moderator pointed out, are our approaches to plans of eating. Should we have one or shouldn't we have one? And by the grace of God, um, that finally came to an end with the passage of the Dignity of Choice pamphlet in this year's World Service Business Conference. The vote was approximately 156 for and 52 for over a body of over 200 voting delegates. It was so close, we needed a two-thirds vote. That brings me back to the point that I, I give service as a World Service delegate, that we had to have a rising count. Uh, we have a former chairman of the Board of, of the Trustees speaking today. We had to rise all to our feet to be certain we had an accurate count. And at that point, me, I'm a, rather a centrist as we're talking about politics then. And I, I'm moderate. I, I was never wedded to any particular outcome. I felt that our, our body, all together, working towards consensus, working towards that common goal, and not being divided any longer. This has been going on for some 20 years in the fellowship or more. It took four years to get it into conference-approved literature form. And so finally, after that raising count, uh, I quoted from the 12 and 12 of Alcoholics Anonymous, we comprehend it of a true brother brotherhood. Bill W. speaks often about our inability to form true partnerships with other people because we know what's right for them. We have our agenda. Well, I have an agenda about the dignity of choice. I really felt that it was an outside issue. I came there saying, you know, it's great for people making that transition from regular chemical dependency into food addiction. They need that on-off black or white abstinence. Maybe dignity of choice can be used there. On the other hand, I always felt like the dignity of choice, let me expound on what that is. It's a suggested plan of eating that has been in the works for a long time. It does not endorse any particular plan of eating. There are five, approximately five plans that are suggested. In this pamphlet, there are guidelines how to practice a program of recovery, always focusing on the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of recovery. Back on to this dignity of choice for me, I'd always seen it as an outside issue. I saw it much like NA endorsing methadone. I saw it consistently as AA endorsing um, the abuse. I really had felt that way. But at the conclusion, when we finished it, I really felt that unity and a loving God working through a group conscience and that we had comprehended of a true brotherhood. And this is what unity is, is meaning for me, is that our differences need not divide us. This happened once in our fellowship uh, before, and you may see that the remnants of that dividing of us, when we couldn't accept that our common welfare is, is first, that uh, my oath is, I've taken an oath not to rock the boat. I'm dependent on you to survive. I'm not a swimmer. You rock the boat, I'm going to go in and drown. I need us to focus on that. That the faction that happened is possibly what we know as, uh, we can mention some outside programs, FA, or FAA, Food Addicts Anonymous. They believe our, our, this particular faction did separate from us and became known for its endorsing a plan of eating strictly with an allergy to sugars, flowers, and things like that. 
hopefully, I believe OA is growing. We have waning membership in the last decade. We've gone down from approximately 10,000 to as low as 6,000. I think we're up above 7,000 now. Um, but I, I have this wonderful vision. I have this vision that when we really gain our focus of where the sick and suffering is, if we go back to our core issue of who are those sick or suffering people, we indeed will see growth, which brings me to um, some of the things that are in our topic today. Uh, besides diversity, which I see again as, as acceptance of conflict in life and relationship to conflict, focusing on the common solution. When we use the word solution, there has to first be a problem. If everything is okay, there's no need of a solution. And there are problems in ovaries and ovaries, as I said, with factions arising, with people um, as felt as they could be, knowing that their plan of eating will keep people in that figure. <laughs> and those of us that feel that we need to work on underlying issues. But as I said, and I began uh, sharing, um, I've seen, as I said, in the decades, the last couple of decades in Norway, that attrition and that lack of representation of some of the most obese populations in the United States in the Fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous. Our greatest problem facing us right now is envisioning who the sick and suffering are. Thank um, goodness from our uh, recent chair and other people. We have a diversity committee out here in the atrium where we, uh, you might stop by. We have formed an R2 diversity committee designed to do outreach to people of color. If you are not aware of it, the manifestation of the disease of obesity is greatest first in black communities with a population of maybe 50 women, 50% 50 of black women being obese in the United States. It's very high. Actually, overweight is as high as 80%, 78%. Black men are not far behind that. Hispanics, uh, up to 80% of Hispanic men are clinically overweight and close to obesity. Hispanic women are just behind that. Asians aren't affected by obesity, uh, but there's a strong contingent possibly in our region within Hawaii, which we hope to reach with the R2 Diversity Committee. The figures are staggering, and the most telling is the fact that the, the greater, it's the irony of this, the inverse proportion, the greater the prevalence of obesity, the lesser that population is in the rooms of overuse anonymous and recovering, and that's been prevalent in the last four decades of our fellowship. This is not, as I say, doom. It's the saying we are growing. We have yet to tap into those resources. There's a big book, and those in Alcoholics Anonymous got so excited about prospects. We got a ton of prospects in these communities. So the fellowship is, is on its way for growth as we hone our vision. And how might I talk about that? How might we see this? In the Fellowship of Overdues Anonymous, we're known as a nonprofit, if you don't know that. AA is not incorporated, but we are. And we have a 301C status. The reason that we claim that status is um, because we have to have a purpose. Our purpose is that we are to promote the public health, to provide charitable or furnish charitable and cultural assistance to those with problems of obesity. That's clearly printed on our banner out there, uh, that we have not only our um, primary purpose of carrying the message to the still suffering, but that's even further honed down and being more explicit that we can look at obesity. It isn't an outside issue. It isn't endorsing anything. We can clinically analyze it and take action and suit to do that. Um, by the grace of God, hopefully with our diversity committee, we're going to be doing that shortly. Moving on to the, my next topic then, or the, the other things. As I said before, um, one of the ways that the diversity committee is actually going out and reaching 
these various people is an event that's coming up here shortly. In 1895, this is pertinent to what we're talking about. It may seem like a tangent, but it isn't. In 1895, the National Medical Association was formed. It actually is a, a very comparable to the American Medical Association, but it is all made up of all black African American, black African American physicians uh, who couldn't be enjoined in uh, the American Medical Association at that time. They existed to close up that disparity of health care to blacks. San Diego's intergroup, and I thank San Diego very much, will be sponsoring a booth for probably the very first time in OA's history at that convention in a way uh, unprecedented to, to open the doors for people of color to actually know OA. If you hit, as I've done in HIPAM chair a long time, I've been in HIPAM chair, in HIPAM outreach, if we go directly to the positions, they are some of the best ways to sell the program of overreasonance to the populations we are targeting. Also, churches and institutions are another manner in which we can do that. Um, the reason that I, I, I consistently keep bringing the topic back, as I say, OA bylaws provide us a way to focus or hone our vision, is because each of one of us, as Bill W. says, we are consistently focused on our own environment. We don't know the peripheral. We can't see any other person until God actually removes our um, self-focusedness. What I found also is that the disease of obesity is best eradicated from peer-to-peer, mentor-to-mentor um, outreach as described in all places but the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know if you're familiar with A Vision for You and some of the preceding uh, topics that are just ahead of it. One of my favorites, one of my favorites is to read again for Bill W. A lot of us may feel like um, Mr. Bill W. or the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, as some members say, they, they were replete with their prejudices. They were, well, they were probably wealthy, Dr. Bob, wealthy white men who had no other problem other than the disease of alcoholism, and they were high on this ladder of status. They were not, you know, really, as we might see, uh, those of us who are color are lower in the ladder. Yet, by the grace of God, they speak to me. I see more and more, as I share about diversity and outreach to people, more and more similarities in Bill W., a white male who I'm quite almost opposite to in society. By the grace of God, he was able to see the power of the 12 steps in outreach. In A Vision for You, I'd love to read this one again. Uh, let me tell you what. I really believe that this part and passage in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous at the beginning, in 1935, when they were just weak people, just trying very basically to stay away from alcohol and not succumb to it, um, they had a power that's inescapable, uh, a power that's unstoppable. A lot of books had been written after. I don't know if you're familiar with Feeling Good. It's a very strong book that was written in the 80s by another psychiatrist. It was actually built on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, almost identically the same and yet that person made a lot of money, and Bill W. didn't make any money. But let me go to that passage that's so important to me, and I'm going to read from it now. When a few men in the city have found themselves and have discovered the joy of helping others to face life again, there will be no stopping until everyone in that town has had their opportunity to recover, if he can and will. That no stopping to me is reminiscent of splitting the atom. It is a powerful program. It was designed for urban areas, believe it or not, peer-to-peer, mentor-to-mentor. 
But why has it been stopped at those barriers, you know, right from suburb? One of my times that I speak, having met Roseanne and, and thinking of the fellowship down in the valley there in Los Angeles, is it, it's wonderful vessel of God. God brought the 43-year-old program to us that we're all recovering from, from one small little vessel when you see her, how you never think that that would be it. And that's why some people say you have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have a treasure in Bill W. But the greater, the smaller, and the less elaborate the vessel, the greater the power of God is to work. The power is from God. And God did work in creating that in the fellowship that we know today. So why is it that an inception of Overeaters Anonymous, it started in the suburban area, what halted it there at that urban area where blacks are the greatest in obesity and probably located there? Where did it stop? In my personal belief, and I have a little bit of research in it, it's cultural barriers. There are a lot of things that are inherent in our, our nature that, that may inhibit uh, the outreach to other people. We were looking like that in the diversity committees. And if you ever visit the website, ebonyoa.org, you'll see some other reasons why uh, the fellowship may be reducing those cultural barriers and becoming more specific about that. One of the ways that we're doing it is by the grace, again, I keep saying I can't be more grateful to our fellowship and the grace of God that I'm currently serving as delegate co-chair of the Conference Literature Committee along with Kathleen, Region 9 trustee. The proposal for a black African-American pamphlet was passed by both the Board of Trustees and the Conference Literature, and we're working very hard on getting that out and, again, breaking down that cultural barrier, being of cultural assistance to those with problems of obesity. We are finally hearing those people who have been out uh, on the margins, who have not been fully enjoying, because maybe of... Because the fellowship is growing. We are in our infancy. Um, the other fellowships are close to 70-year-olds. NA is like maybe 60 or 70, 60 years old. We are just 43 years old. Don't, we don't give up hope yet. We're just seeing that possibly anorexics and bulimics would be, though not a part of us. It's kind of like Alaska's way up there past Canada, not contiguous with the United States, not touching it. But it's a part of the union. Anorexics and bulimics are a part of our fellowship. They still are being enjoined. And we are creating a pamphlet, again, back to the Conference Literature Committee. We're creating a pamphlet to make sure we address that cultural need of that part of our fellowship, that we fully embrace all of us, that we see that together we can do what's been missing uh, for a long time in our fellowship. It, it, when I shared in Los Angeles that time, I was trying to be explicit in saying when any of us share about uh, outreach and the, the dominant culture, that it is never for shame, basing, blaming, political correctness. It is just correcting it like we do in our 10th step. It's getting our vision and embracing every part and parcel of who we are as recovering compulsive overeaters. And uh, with that, I, I guess I should really just close and thank you very much for entertaining my thoughts. Thank you, Angela. Our last speaker this afternoon is David H. from Sherman Oaks. Hi, I'm David, compulsive reader. And, um, you know, when, when I saw the topic, when I was emailed it, I didn't, I was so busy I didn't think much. And then when I saw the topic when I got here this weekend, I thought, okay, you know, what, what is it going to be? And I'm glad I'm the third speaker so I could hear different things on, on diversity cause there's, and, and 
a different um, different ways that different things diversity can mean. Um, you know, we're different all culturally, especially up here. And that's somebody uh, from the uh, um, program committee was saying how you know different different people, and, and that's partly what makes OA so, so strong anyway, whether it's a diversity workshop or whatever it is, that we all do come from different backgrounds, yet we're all united in, in, in our reach for um, relief from compulsive overeating and from our disease. Um, and it's also diversity in our approaches to how we work OA. And I think OA of any fellowship I've ever seen has, I think, just about each member has their own way because food is such an individual thing. It's not like almost any other substance I can think of that, you know, what sets me off doesn't set you off. What, and and what's, what's a binge for me could be a very absent meal for you and vice versa. It's so different. It's so unique. Um, but we're all here. And, um, and what I found... Let me give you a little bit of statistics. I came into OA June 1976, so that's what, uh, 28, a little over 28 years ago. I was 15 at the time. Um, I always say that because I look young anyway, so people know I came in very young. Uh, at the time, I was probably, I am just guessing, about 40, 50 pounds overweight. Uh, in OA, I lost about 25, 30 pounds. And um, I was going through puberty, so some of it I maybe outgrew some of the weight. I know obesity because, and grossly, uh, being grossly obese, when I had been even younger, I maybe had 80 pounds to lose. So I come from being, being very heavy. Um, and, uh, and I started abstaining, not that I knew that that's what it was, in October of 1976. And... Um, and, uh, and and maintaining the same weight most of most of the years, um, and, and what I've discovered, I'm a very argumentative person. Everything I hear, I, I, I want to. I can say something, you know. I have to be careful at work. I have to keep my mouth shut a lot. Anyway, I can argue about everything there is to argue about. But what I've learned in in all these years, in a way, is that I can only share my experience. You know, what's right for you is maybe fine. It would never work for me. And I can't tell you to do it my way or you to tell me to do it your way. And I, it's really become clear. I guess, you know, sometimes I can't see my progress after 28 years, you know. I look, but if I look, I, I just, um, when I look back at where I was 28 years ago, and where I am today, and I really, I'm not fighting anything or anybody. You know, I just say, this is what I do, and what you do, and I listen to what you do, and, and, and go on. And, and, uh, and also, time is, is really great, because, okay, let's see in a year if what I'm doing is still going to work, and, you know, let's see. Let's see in five years, is this going to work? Um, so that's what I really want to do. I do want to tell you a little bit about my experiences. Um, First of all, just to tell you, when I came to OA, uh, my mother had been in, in and out of OA for three years at the time. She started going in 1973. She was the same age as I am now. She was 43 years old. 
she, my mother had been, like myself, it's in my genes, she had been a compulsive reader, a fat baby, and really had deep issues with food. And um, by the time she was 43 years old, she was told she had six months to live. She had high blood pressure, borderline diabetic. Her heart was, uh, her heart was okay, but everything around it, all her veins were going, arteries. She had, I mean, just a mess. She was on all kinds of medication and all this stuff. And the doctor said it, you know, told her she had six months to live because she was killing herself with food. And that's when she found OA. And between OA and medical science, she lived to be actually 65 years old. Uh, but the disease killed her. She could never get away. Once she came, she, she'd always say that this is it. There's nothing else for her. But she could never get it. It just was the disease was stronger than her will to live or her love of her family. And she, my mother loved to live and she loved her family, but the disease was stronger than, than that. And I look at it and I talk about it, not to judge her, but just to tell you where I, I, will, I would be there, especially, like I said, I'm 43. I'm, I'm the same age. And, I, and when I go to the doctors and they say, you know, for your age, you're, so, you're, rel- you're relatively healthy and you've got normal blood pressure. And, you know, and, and I just I marvel at it because I don't come from genetically. I shouldn't be there. I shouldn't be this way. And, and uh, being a compulsive overeater, you know, who also... I, I've been a compulsive overeater and overweight from the time I was born. I shouldn't be healthy, you know. Um, and, and it's a miracle of this program. Um, I, was, I was just thinking I was at a work thing a few months ago, and they were they had these. It was uh, in Scottsdale. They took us for work, and it was like an awards thing, and and they had these um, games, you know, like miniature tricycles and obstacle course, all this, I guess they do like team building exercise. They have to do things because it can't be just like a trip <laughs> with a work thing. And, and, they, and I, first of all, to think I would participate in anything physical, you know, still amazes me. 20 years later, I, be, being, had, being, having been an obese child, anything physical was, you know, and, and it was already hot. It was like April in Scottsdale, it was already getting hot, and I was participating. And then at the awards banquet a couple of nights later, they had taken pictures of everybody, and there was a picture of me in shorts on, a, um, on one of these bikes. And I said, oh, who's that young kid? You know, and it was me. And, it was, and I thought, you know, it's a miracle of this program that I could participate and be part of life and, and, and uh, look the way I look. Um, it, was, it was really nice. Anyway, uh, I was going somewhere with it. Anyway, with when I came, so anyway, when I went with my mother, I went with her a few meetings in 1973. And OA, the idea of not having food was so scary that I had to just say, this will never work for me. I can never do what my mother is doing. When I heard about the steps, I could never do that. And for me, what I saw too, my mother, it was a diet for my mother. It was a lot of other things. It was a social club. It was a spirituality that my mother liked. But it was very compartmentalized, and it was a, and it was a diet, and I thought I never could do it. And thank God, 
1976, my mother was sort of on a comeback in a way. She had gone to a, a World Service Convention in Los Angeles, met up with an old friend of hers who had talked, told her about OA years before, had a son my age, and said, you know, I heard about a team meeting in Los Angeles, um, and my son's going to go there, she, she told my mom. You know, does David want to go with him? And so that's when I count when I started OA. And I mentioned, and, I, and the reason I want to talk about it was, or is, that for me, it doesn't matter. You know, now it doesn't matter. I can go to any meeting and hear things from any people. When I was brand new, it was actually great that I went to a team meeting because I could relate. It was, it was young people who were taught, had the same disease as me, looked like me, I could relate to. I wouldn't, I, I, when I went with my mother, I couldn't relate and OA wasn't for me. And it helped me. So, so that's one thing I want to talk about, just my experience, that that really helped me. And, and it doesn't have to take away from OA, you know, that there are special focus meetings like that. Uh, the other thing nowadays, we, in, I live in the San Fernando Valley and I started OA in the Los Angeles area. So I know both intergroups. And both intergroups had men's meetings. And for me, they never were very good. And I went a few, you know, whenever I was asked to lead, I'd go and that was about it. Um, but a few years back, they started a men's meeting on Wednesday nights, and a friend of mine actually started it. So I went. Well, this meeting happens to be very strong. The people who started it had a lot of recovery, and, and all of a sudden now it's one of my favorite meetings, and I go, you know, every week that I can unless I have a work commitment. And then again, it, it just supplements my other meetings because it's men that I can relate to. So it really helps. Um, but I'm one that um, I, I think, you know, the special focus meetings have been great for me in my recovery. And also, though, I need regular meetings, so I hear all kinds of points of view. And I can see that I can relate to people who maybe don't look like me, don't have the same cultural, religious background as me, and we can all recover together. Um, I can hear somebody who maybe came into a way as a senior citizen, and here I came in as a teenager, and yet the disease is the same. So I, I need I need both is what I'm saying. Um, I also because I come from you know being grossly obese and and um, and, and uh, having a lot of weight to lose. I assume that everybody, uh, if you're a compulsive reader, you're going to look and be like me. And thank God I've met people in a way who maybe didn't have a lot of weight to lose. Yet when they're still compulsive overeaters and we talk and they're just as obsessed as I am, you know, and they can't wait for their next meal just like I sometimes can't wait for my next meal, you know. And that's really great to see that it's not about the weight necessarily. It's about the disease. It's about the, the obsession and the compulsion with, with compulsive overeating. Um, let me tell you a little bit more about... Um, what happened when I came to OA. Um, thank God, nobody, the, the, this meeting I went to, this team meeting, nobody, I didn't think I was joining. I thought I was just going once a week. And nobody said I had to practice any specific anything or do anything or even talk because I didn't. I was, you know, uh, so shy and afraid of people that I couldn't talk. And it was only a room of maybe six to eight people at most. Eight was a big meeting. Six was a 
the average size, but I couldn't talk. I was so afraid of people and so afraid of life. When I came in, my life was just about watching TV, barely making it to school. I could hardly function. You know, that I have a job, a, a, a wife, children, you know, all the things I have in my life is a miracle because I, had, I mean, I was heading for nothing. I couldn't function. And I couldn't even, you know, as a teenager, I could barely make it to school. I could not study. I was so into the food. And the food anesthetized me. It was the only thing that took the edge off the world because the world was so scary. I didn't believe in God. I was brought up Jewish and I liked it culturally, but I didn't believe in God, so it didn't help me. And, and I was just so afraid and the world was so chaotic and, and my parents yelled a lot. It, it sounded very similar to what the speaker last night was talking about. But it was, you know, no alcoholism, but just it felt like that. It was such a chaotic household and the food just suffered it all. And um, so when I came to OA, you know, I, I felt lower than everybody there. I couldn't talk to anybody. I'm sure everybody hated me, including the leader, who later became my sponsor. But I was sure, you know, and I wasn't going to do anything. And when I heard again about the steps, again, it was like, I'm not going to do what my mother's, her and her friends are doing. I couldn't do it. And so nobody said anything. But when I asked for help, when I started high school, you know, in the fall, I said, how can I stop eating those cookies? Because I kept going by the student store buying cookies. That was new in high school. Being a compulsive reader, he was a new binge. And I was, at that point, I was like, I just need to stop gaining weight. One day I'll, I'll wake up being struck with the willingness to go on a diet, but I wanted to just find a way to stop gaining weight. And so I asked at that meeting, what can I do to stop? And the leader said, why don't you call somebody and tell them every day what you're going to eat? And that's when I date my absence, October 1976. So I didn't do what anybody else did. It was just, but you know what? That worked for me, calling in. And I wasn't going to do it. And, and the friend that I, I was driving to the meeting with said, oh, do you want to call me tomorrow? And it's like I thought, okay, his mom's very active in OA. Maybe he is. Maybe this is brownie points for him. I'll, I'll you know, oblige him. And I, I wasn't, didn't think I was doing any, you know. And so I called in every day what I was going to eat. And you know what? It's still working for me. It's still working. Now, I don't call it my food all the any. I don't call it in anymore at all. But, but it, it's working for me, you know. Um, I started, um, I want to talk about that too. I, uh, I joined a gym last year. Our, we have an exercise bike. Somebody like me exercised. Who would have ever thought, you know. And we had an exercise bike at home, and it broke. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to gain all this weight. I'm going to, you know, my life's going to fall apart. And, and God was good to me. These little things, if God can do these little things, why do I worry about the big things? But right, I never heard a commercial for a gym before. I never thought I would want to join a gym. And right the, a few days after this exercise bike broke, I heard an ad for, like, you could join this gym for, like, $30 a month or 36, no, $30 for, like, six weeks or something. I said, oh, until I find a new bike, and I did, and so this has become something that's just taking care of myself, learning to love myself, doing something. Um, anyway, when when I re-registered for this gym in January, my membership was up in January, and so when I re-registered, you get it was like a complete package, and they weigh you, and they ask you what you'd like to weigh and what you'd like to eat, and. They came up with this whole nutritional plan for me. 
And, you know, I'm always, I'd always like to lose a little bit more. And, you know, I was, when I graduated college, I was, I, wait, I was a size 32, and after college and working and being able to eat out more, I'm now a size 34. And I've been this way for about 20 years or something. I'm, I mean, I'm okay. I'd, I'd love to be a size 32 again, but 34 isn't bad. And being it for all these years is not bad. Anyway, um, and I'd rather abstain than obsess. You know, I'd rather be this. Anyway, but when they said... This is what you can eat, and you could eat this many cows. It seemed attractive for, for a while, you know, when I saw this. And I'm so removed from, from of being in OA for 28 years. I forgot about the Januarys. Everybody starts diets. And, and the gym, all of a sudden, it was like I could go on any equipment anytime I went. And all of a sudden, in January, it's all crowded. And, 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 and everybody's doing these personal trainer things. And, and for for like a few minutes or maybe a couple days I was contemplating, maybe I should change my apps, not change my apps, but change my food plan and try this and maybe I could lose 10, 15 pounds. Maybe, you know. And, and, and there's nothing wrong if people do it. I know lots of people doing all kinds of stuff right now. But all of a sudden it hit me. And it's like I haven't had to do this for 28 years. Isn't, you know, I don't want to mess around with my absence. I don't want to mess around, you know, with this, you know, I, I um, it's just I wasn't willing to go on a diet. You know, I might have to. It may change. I mean, you know, I'm always open-minded, but I just don't want to do a diet or a new food plan or mess with things, you know. If I need to lose weight, I just need to maybe come to more meetings and tighten up my program, you know, maybe meditate a little bit more, make more phone calls. There's other things that I need to do. And that's for me, is wonderful. It just shows me always working. Um, you know, I got, what happened to me was I got involved in service in, uh, by going to an intergroup meeting and, and learning to deal with people from all kinds of backgrounds and crazy people and sane people. And you know what? I learned from them all. I learned from the crazies what not to do. I learned from the sane, serene people. I learned some wonderful lessons that have helped me in, besides OA, have helped me in my personal life, in my work life. Um, I just, for the last couple minutes, just want to talk about my life today, what OA has given me, you know, and, and so you'll hear my background and wherever you are. I've been at the same job for 24 years. I'm a manager of a bank, and, and um, for somebody who was as dysfunctional as me to be in such a demanding position, crazy people. I'm dealing with crazy customers, crazy employees, crazy management. I hope nobody ever hears this tape, but sometimes... <laughs> I, I joke at work. I said, if I, if I was a drinking person, this job would be so much easier. But I don't have anything, you know. I go to the bathroom. When I go to the bathroom, which sometimes there's people waiting for me as soon as I walk out to approve things or want to talk to me, you know, but that's my little haven. And if I have to say, you know, this random prayer and, and whatever, but that I could do it. And I have the same job and I'm, and I'm well respected. You know, last year I was the mentor for new managers. And it was like, oh, wait, I got to, four people I got to train who were to become managers like me. And it was just like I was sponsoring people. And, and, and I've taken my OA principles, and, and people call me. They know it's safe to call me. And I share my experience, strength, and hope with my job and my career with people. And, and also at my age now, um, there's all these people in their 20s that, that uh, work for us and, and stuff. And, and it just feels good that I can, you know, be like a, a – a father, a big brother to some of these people really feels good. 
Um, um, I'm married to a lady, some of you know, who's also in OA involved, and, and that we can, you know, balance, be there for each other, be there for our children, take care of our own programs. I mean, it's a lot, you know, and it's because of this program that we can do that. And we can create this kind of home. We're, we're both Jewish, and, you know, Friday nights to us is our Sabbath, and we're not overly religious, but through the years of program, we've both become more, a little bit more observant. Take what we like, leave the rest, and Friday nights we've made it our little thing for the kids where we like candles and do the prayers over bread and wine and and lately we've been like inviting people to come over on Friday night we always the last couple of years we have twin six six and a half year olds and we've been telling our kids Friday night family night Friday night special because we make Shabbat but lately we've been like more often having people over so setting an example you know living by example not telling my brother what to do or friends but we've lived the example of what we think, and it feels so good, not for anybody else, but for us, the kind of house we have and, and what I'm creating. You know, I have an autistic, uh, if you see a little boy running around acting socially unacceptable, it's my son, he's, he's autistic. And to know that, you know, what I've got, of all things, I was so worried to become a father later in life and stuff, and so set in my ways, and, and, and to have a hyper autistic child, I mean, who could think of the worst thing in the world? And yet I learned so much from him. And I do anything to make him, to, you know, to snap my fingers to make him normal. But without him, I would have so much less in my life, you know. And, and God has shown me what I could handle, what I never thought I could. And to just love him and accept him. Sometimes want to kill him and get through it. And, and to learn that, you know what, he can't help how he is. And it's learn to accept so many people in a way, at, at my work, that people are just born with chemicals or their wiring's different than mine, you know, and he's taught me this, and relatives that I don't think act nice, I say, well, maybe they've got the same genes as my son. You know, what a lesson. But that's because of OA, that I'd have it. If, it, if, if I had become a father without his program, you know, it would have been, why did God do this to me, or why is this world so horrible? And instead, everything's a lesson. You know, when both my parents, what are the lessons I'm going to learn from this? What I'm always looking at myself, what can I learn from him? He's our disease sometimes when his autism is full-blown and he wants what he wants when he wants it. He wants to eat what he wants. It's our disease. I get to see I get to see in a little child, you know, what our disease is. And I just have to stay calm. I can't sometimes change him, but I can change me. Uh, but that's what I get from this program, you know. And um, And life is good. You know, life is good. I don't, the, the food uh, doesn't stop me from living. I'm still a compulsive overeater. I still, you know, look forward for dinner. And if it's not great, I'm disappointed, you know. And, and if I invite people over, I've got to have 10 different varieties because everybody's got to be happy with food. Anyway, so I'm still a compulsive overeater. And life isn't always easy. And, you know, but with this program, you know, and just listening to all you and hearing all your diversity, all your struggles, I learn from everybody's lesson, everybody's path I'm learning for, from. And the last thing I'm going to close with, at my work, you know, diversity is a big hot topic, you know, and, and I have a company that talks a lot about it. One thing, one of the leaders, and, and this is what I say, I learned from everything. At work, one of the people were saying that diversity isn't just, isn't just acceptance, but it's knowing that all the, by having a diverse workforce, we're stronger, it's better. It's not that we just accept that people are different, but we actually need it because it makes us stronger. And when I heard it, I thought it's the same in a way. It, you know, by people being on all these paths, that's what makes us stronger. You know, if everybody looked like me and acted like me, we wouldn't 
it wouldn't be what it is today. So anyway, I thank you all for listening to me. I thank you for this wonderful convention and opportunities to do service. Thank you. Why don't we all thank our speakers again for a wonderful session. This meeting is now open for three-minute pitches. Please limit your sharing to three minutes and confine your share to your experience, strength, and hope on the topic discussed today. Also, all participants must sign the tape release form. Please sign before you pitch. Hello, my name is Loverna. Hi, I've been a member of OA since January of 98. I got my abstinence in June of 98, and I've just celebrated six years of um, being in LA. I, I went to the doctor the other day, and uh, my doctor told me that over my, my life of dieting, I've lost 300 pounds. Uh, but since I've been in OA, I have released 80 pounds, and I have over 100 pounds to go. Uh, prior to coming here, I was in many, many um, diet clubs, I call them, uh, different programs, some um, that was recommended by my doctor that I felt was safe to go to. I spent a lot of money. I would be a rich woman now if I had just come here first, and I'm glad that I found the program. And I want to thank the panel for everything they said. I learned something from everyone. Thank you very much. And uh, the point of diversity, I'm, I'm, I live in an uh, African-American community, and I see so many of my friends and neighbors walking around that need to be in the rooms here with us. I'm always inviting people to come to the OA meeting. I have eight children, and I have 27 grandchildren. Out of the grandchildren, there's about seven of them that are overweight, that are definitely on the road to weight problems. This summer, my daughter took her daughter to a Camp La Jolla, someplace near San Diego or Oceanside. Very expensive, very expensive, you know, and I have, uh, but so far, uh, Janae is doing pretty good, I guess. But when I think about the money, you know, because I've already been there, done that, it's like, hey, I can tell you a secret. You don't have to do that. I know where you need to go. And um, with the family, um, we have a family get-together every Sunday at someone's house. There's usually about 40 of us there with my kids, grandkids. Uh, son-in-laws, daughter-in-laws, boyfriends, girlfriends, neighbors, whoever. And um, I'm, I'm the person who introduced to the children the new vegetables so that they know that there's more than just uh, meat and potatoes. And so I have turned them on to a lot of new stuff. So we have like at least three hot vegetables and a couple of different salads, and they have grown to like that. I have learned how to cook my food, um, soul food, low-fat where there's still flavor and, you know, it tastes good without all the, the traditional types of um, fat floating through the food. But the diversity is really good. I think that, you know, I'm, I'll be glad when that pamphlet comes out, but I think the high schools need to be reached, the elementary schools need to be reached, uh, the people in the different communities, whether they go to the churches or however they do the social thing, because it's like really just an ep epidemic. I have a sister who is convinced that all the women in the family are going to die before the age of 60. She's younger than I am. She's had five bypasses. She's had a double hip replacement. She walks with two canes. 
She recently had both legs, uh, had to have a bypass on her main arteries in both legs. I didn't know you could do that. And I'm just, just as determined that I'm going to live to be 110 because I'm going to get rid of this weight. And um, it's just, it's almost like she has just given up. When I was coming up, my grandmother exercised with Jack LaLanne. She and her sisters would walk from one end of San Francisco all the way to the other, uh, picking up soda pop bottles along the way, cashing them in and going to the bank. They died rich women. <laughs> and uh, then the next generation, my mother's generation, there was no bike trails. There was no walking trails. No one went to the gym. And, uh, and this is what my sister's looking at. I'm trying to look beyond that. So I just hope that the diversity will set in and we will be able to help our youth, uh, our families, and our communities. Thank you. Hi, I'm Judith. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, um, I'm from San Mateo. And um, first of all, thank you, all of you. It really just touched me, and I was very happy I met Rosa at lunchtime. I didn't realize you were from Madrid. That's just wonderful, you know, um, coming across the water and uh, bringing it with and keeping it going. My first uh, sponsor that I ever had in OA when I was sick and tired of my, my uh, obsession with the food and the inability to stop eating, and even if I was eating, I'd pretend you couldn't see me eating. And My ex-husband was a, a drug addict, heroin addict, and he was in recovery at the time when he said to me, I think you have a problem, and uh, you're fixing up through your mouth, and I fix up through the veins. And um, I was like, hey, you've got a point there. You know, there's a real point. Um, so I went to a program. I got some help, and I already mean Al-Anon. And my first sponsor was disabled. He was a young man, and we actually all fancied him. He was cute, you know. He was a really good-looking guy. He used to walk on two canes because he had a very disabled body. And uh, the six women were all his sponsees, and uh, we loved him to pieces. We all fancied him. In English, that means we, we thought he was cute enough to date. You know, Maybe that's why we, we went with him, but mostly because he was really smart. He had what we wanted, and he had no obsession left, and he stuck with a meal plan, and he just did it. And every time we tried to go out from the meal plan, he'd just tell us he was going to fire us. And he was really strict. Back east, in the you know east coast, they were pretty serious uh, with that meal plan with the gray sheet and um, that was back in 87 so that was my first introduction and I knew that there were very all kinds of people in OA and we wanted what he had and he was different than us but we wanted the, 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 the disease to stop um, I, there's so many things I want to touch on I'm just going to say a little bit of everything I'm really pleased for the dignity of choice um, when I came crawling back on my knees after the inability to stop eating at Fresh Choice which is supposed to be a salad bar but I found everything else possible to eat there I crawled in in San Mateo and I hit a how meeting it was just by sheer luck that it was a how meeting I don't know, I just walked in I begged for a sponsor, I got someone who looked just like me a businesswoman who was busy all the time blah, blah, blah. And, um, and then when she dropped out uh, oh, actually she went to another fraction um, I got another sponsor who looked nothing like me. She had, no, she was like twice my age, maybe more than twice my age. Who knew? But you know, she had something I wanted, and she had serenity. I was like, I don't care who you are. You got serenity. I'll have some of that. Can you sponsor me? Um, I'm glad for the dignity of choice because I'm really, I was very, very scared I would drown in my own fat or suffocate one day, and that I never reached more than ever 40 or 50 pounds overweight. I'm down 40 pounds and 10 more to go. That, that I never got there was a sheer will of God in my face. So I think that was the only reason. Um, but for me, I have to have a meal plan. I have to be told what to eat and then when to eat some more. 
um, and then we're not to eat some more, and, and I think it's going to happen in the rest of my life. So, it, to me, the how it gave me was structure, and though it looked like we have lack of, I actually got more of. I eat more food than I can ever imagine, and um, I got more choice back because I'm not insane all the time. So, it works for me. I'm glad there's an option there for everyone to find that the plan that works best. Um, Angela, I want to thank you for the, the, the where you're going, who you want on the path, and why we've got to do it. Um, I'm in the coaching profession, and when I saw that in every class I went to, we had one person of color. Um, all it took was to call three people I didn't know um, into my living room and say, here's the deal. You're black, I'm white. I think there should be more black people here. And um, let's see if we can organize it. And so I met this woman who I love ever since, and we have a National Black Professional Coaches Alliance around the country. It's massive, it's growing. They speak at every black convention now because one person said, let's meet in my living room. So I know it can be done and just just touches my heart to know we can go after it. We really can go after it. Um, I'm married into an Asian family. Again, I had a million things to say. Married into an Asian family. They're all thin. Everybody's thin, it seems like, in my Asian culture. And I'm, uh, you know what I have to do is I have to say that I'm a Jew and we came from a chubby culture. <laughs> and uh, so give me a chance. You know, it's, it's really, it's good. My, my husband doesn't care if I'm fat or thin. Anyway, lots of different things. I want to say that um, I've been to meetings in many European countries, Hawaii. I go on a cruise ship. I can get a meeting. It's, it's fantastic that we got it everywhere we need to go. And um, I think the key is just we need to speak up no matter what. Let nobody drown in this disease or in, beside, you know, in between their own ears or their own mouth or their own thighs. And we just got to help each other and, and making sure that we keep people in the rooms and not make them go away again. Thank you. My name is Angela S. and I'm from Sacramento here. And I'm a, definitely a compulsive overeater. I I want to thank the panel for speaking. Um, today I've learned a lot. I, I I'm just amazed at all of your stories and that we can come from all these different backgrounds and um, different experiences and still this disease is something else. <laughs> it's what binds us together, but it is also what helps us. I guess you could say help each other get out too. Um, I wanted to, I'm obviously African-American, and uh, but I also wanted to talk about something um, a little bit different, because um, two years ago, this is July, July the 11th, 2002, I had gastric bypass surgery, and since, since then, I've lost 130 pounds, and I was on death's door. I already have a congenital hip disease and my hip needs to be replaced. But um, I had been in and out of OA for, oh, I don't know, since, since the 80s. I'll just say 87. And I'm real hard-headed. And I've done OA How. I've done all, just about everything. I am one of those very defiant people, and I really, really have this disease, really. And um, 
I didn't really understand what this program was about until I would say about two weeks ago. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just really, really stubborn. But I'm not alone, you know. And I attend support groups for, for uh, gastric bypass, what they call post-op. And I realized something, I'm not alone. The only difference is I come to OA and they don't. <laughs> and there's a lot of what we call pre-op patients, and that's where you see the really serious cases because you don't see these people on the street. They can't go anywhere. The 600, 700, 800 pounders, I see them because, you know, I, have, I go to the meetings. I don't have to, but I want to. And that's where you realize the toll the uh, disease takes on people. And outreach definitely needs to be there because too many of us who have the bypass surgery, we get to a certain point. Those, you know, there's a lot of people who are real, get to be real thin and they're fine and serene and everything. And then there's people like me who get to a certain point and then we find ways around the pouch because your pouch is about this. And, you know, if you're a compulsive overeater, you're going to find a way around anything that anybody gives you just to do your disease. And that's where I am. And I'm not alone. Um, at about half of the people who have bypass surgery lose about 50% of their weight and they pretty much stay there. 50% is good, for God's sakes. It's better to be 350 than 700. And in my case, it's, I was 352 I, I I was heavier than that, but I wasn't going to get on a scale. But my recorded weight was 352. I'm down to 240 now, you know. So um, I was down farther, but I gained back, I have to be honest. Um, and there are cases where people gain all their weight back even with gastric bypass. So I'm still holding on, clinging by a thread, and I realize What's wrong with me is this disease. And, and um, hardcore compulsive overeaters like me do need help to stay alive, like gastric bypass. It did save my life. But we also need something else, and I think people need to be aware. Um, bypass patients, African Americans, people who are in that category of really, really... <laughs> Hardcore, hardcore food addicts. Thanks. It's now time to close the session. Let's thank our speakers and everyone who pitched today.